Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, it's Allison, and welcome back to the podcast. Well, we've had a few um, weeks of interviews, which has been great. I think we must be in book launch season. Uh, but I wanted to get back to some Q&A. People have been patiently waiting for me to answer their questions. Um, also, just so you know, I do a Facebook Live every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time for half an hour if you want to ask me a question. And usually at the end of those, I say, hey, if we didn't get around to your question, let me know if it's okay for me to answer it in the podcast. So uh, some of these are from my Facebook Live. Some of these are people have emailed me. So, But thank you, everybody, and um, join me on Thursdays as well. But let's get going. Questions for this week. Hi, Allison. I have a question for the podcast, if possible. How to handle bedtime struggles. My daughters, five and seven, know the rules we have in place about washing up time before sleep, their bedtime responsibilities, and so on. But every few days, they try to engage in a power struggle by screaming, no, I'm not going to bed. I am staying here in the living room. When we firmly but gently say we understand they might be disappointed, but it's bedtime already, and that started at 8.30 p.m., it's grown-up time, and they have to go to bed. They continue to scream, no, call us mean, etc. Me and my husband try not to engage in those power struggles, but then we start running out of patience because it can go on for 30 to 45 minutes. Any advice? Uh, so I'm assuming that they actually came back down to the living room as opposed to going up to bed because if it's about going up to bed, my advice would be don't expect them to lead expect them to follow. So if it's bedtime and they need to be up in their rooms and you're doing stories, kisses, and lights out, then I would just start walking up the stairs, lie down on their bed, and start reading the stories. You know, Winnie the Pooh went into the woods when his friend Piglet, and they're going to be down in the living room going, ah, they're all upstairs. So see if you can entice them to, to come up to bed because you're moving on with the, with the tuck-in. 
If, however, you've read Winnie the Pooh, you've said goodnight, you've turned the lights off, and you've gone back down to the living room for adult time, and they come out of their rooms, and they come back downstairs and say, no, we're not going to bed, then I have different advice. My first piece of advice would be that uh, we do not want to engage with them, meaning I don't, I, w- I don't want to keep telling them that it's adult time and they need to go to bed. I don't want to talk about it. I want to show them. I want to experientially show them that you might stay awake and you might not go to bed, but what you're going to find is a very boring house because adults don't interact with children after tuck-in time. So get busy with what you need to be doing. You're going to demonstrate experientially that you have a life after they after their tuck-in time. So it might be just get busy working away on your computer or returning emails for work or going down to the laundry room and getting laundry together or start cleaning up the kitchen. But I would just pretend they were basically like invisible ghosts if you can. You know, don't be, you don't have to be cold about it. Well, you know, I mean, I'm just saying, just get on with what you need to do. No language, no eye contact. And if uh, mostly they'll kind of like sit on the edge of the room or they'll watch. If you turn on the television, they start watching the TV show you're watching, and that can take a lot longer. So I tend to not have the TV on, but I might do something, and I think this is like a, a great thing. You know, when you're telling them, you know, it's mommy and daddy time after tuck-ins, if the kids come down the stairs and you guys start kissing, like smooching, necking, they really don't like watching their parents make out. <laughs> I wouldn't go further than kissing, but I'm just saying. Um, and then you can kind of laugh and say, well, what do you think people do when the kids go to bed? This is our this is our mommy-daddy time. This is our date time. So uh, they, they don't like to watch that. So often they'll be like, oh, gross, we're going back to bed. But uh, the talking about it, the forcing them, the demanding them, that's less likely to improve matters. But just make your home life really super boring. Will they do it on the first night, the second night? It might take you multiple rounds at this, but the idea is you just want to present a super boring evening that is not worth getting out of bed and sticking around for. So even fighting, remember, even fighting is interacting. Even yelling and nagging is interacting. Go to bed, go to bed. It's past your bedtime. You know it's too late. You're going to be tired in the morning. All of that is still interaction. All of that is still socializing negative socializing. So I'm just saying, zip it, lock it, put on your invisible glasses where you don't see them and get on with your life. And they will figure it out over the course of a couple of days that that's a really stupid thing to get out of bed. (laughs) For what? For nothing. (laughs) Thanks for the question. Okay, and I have another one here. Hi, Allison. Loving your podcast. Thank you. I've attended one of your classes and love learning more about how to grow as a parent. I have a question. My son sometimes when he makes a mistake, will say that he is dumb or stupid. Now I notice my other son starting to say it also. It worries me, as I do not know if he is saying this because of low self-esteem or for attention. Not sure how I should handle this. Any light you can shed on this is greatly appreciated. Well, um, again, you know, when we do the Adlerian model, we ask ourselves the question, What's the usefulness of the behavior? What's the goal of the of the behavior? What what tends to happen? So maybe think what what do you normally say? What do you what's your response for when he says dumb or stupid? Sometimes what we find is that kids will insult themselves this way, degrade themselves in order to fish for a compliment. Adults do this too, right? They'll do this like, oh, you know, I look so fat in this outfit. And they're like, no, you don't. It's beautiful. I love it. You look great. So some people learn to insult themselves in order to get affirmations from other people. So it could be that if he gets a big pep talk. I don't know. That's one thing you could keep an eye out for. But I think mostly when kids are saying they're dumb, they're stupid, they really want to project to the world that I have very high standards for myself and 
I will beat my, before you can criticize me for my shortcomings, I want you to know that I will criticize me for my shortcomings because I have high expectations that I should know this, I should be perfect, I should be better than this. And, you know, in a sense, maybe you could say it's high self-esteem. He really wants you to know what his self-opinion is, much higher than how he's, what he's showing you with his behavior. So I think, you know, if I'm talking about what are scripts to say, responses that might be healthy to, to address that, I might say, no, you're, you're not dumb or stupid, my friend, my lovely child. You, you know what you are? You're a learner. That's what you are. We're learning and we're growing. And it takes courage to do things and figure things out. And so what you're doing is you're showing us your courage. And it sounds like you want everything to come easy and be perfect. But if you do that, then you're not really learning anymore. You're not on your growing edge. We have to grow in order to um, improve ourselves. And we grow our whole lives long. If we did things right and perfect every single time, it would be doing something that we we already know. And where would the growth be? So, and you might even joke and say, my goodness, you have high standards for yourself. You think everything should be perfect the first time. That's not how life works. So if we keep focusing on the effort and the improvement and the growing edge and and just sort of keeping in mind, that's what learners do. That's that that's what you're you're rolling with the punches of being a learner. Just keep your own attitude about it positive. And then I would say, really model mistake making for your child. Kids tend to see adults think about like we're honestly, mostly we're not growing. <laughs> I hate to say it. When was the last time we tried something new? Although I have to say during the pandemic, a lot of parents have said, I'm gonna take up making sourdough bread or I'm gonna learn how to watercolor. Our kids need to see us as learners. A lot of times we stay in our comfort zone. We stay in our mastery zone. We don't like the learning curve at a certain point. So I think we need to show them, us as learners, us making mistakes, us being courageous in that way. And then notice your self-talk when you do it. Are you saying like, oh, I really wrecked my watercolor? Or are you saying like, oh, I'm still figuring out how to do pine trees and clouds? Whatever it might be. Notice what you say when you flub up. Are you critical? And uh, so, yeah, so... Do some learning in front of your children and then model how to be kind and give yourself self-affirmations instead of uh, being critical. And that should improve things for you there. Moving along. My nine-year-old daughter says she doesn't feel good enough. She's a perfectionist and she seems to have trouble keeping friends. How can I support her and help her realize that she is enough? Oh, gosh, I'm not sure. There's sort of two questions here. One is the uh, the perfectionist good enough high standards piece there, and then the trouble keeping friends, because um, they're kind of two different things, really. In Adlerian psychology, we talk a lot about the idea that as, as human beings, we come into the world and we do have biological inferiorities. We are we are smaller. We can't walk. We can't talk. Um, we don't understand the language. And it is from that true position of inferiority that we generate a motivation to want to overcome those inferiorities and to grow and to learn our mother tongue and to learn to walk and to learn to talk and to learn to socialize. And those are those are all true true motivators but then there's a psychological feeling of inferiority feelings that are much more subjective and speak to our worth and speak to a more of an ego based feeling so those deep inferiority feelings can turn into an inferiority complex when we really feel like somehow i am not measuring up i am not good enough that there is some measuring standard and perfectionistic people really feel like the only way that my value will be assured and affirmed is 
if I actually do everything quite perfectly. That would be a safe, this would be a, a safe solution. So uh, my, I, I will be self-assured of my security, my place in the group, my value in the group if I don't make mistakes and if I do everything just so. And that's, um, that's a, a private logic that gets a lot of people into trouble. And, um, you know, we have to correct that private logic and move it more in, in line with common sense. And so how do we do that? That's what the art of encouragement is about. Uh, encouragement takes down the mental construct that there are people that are better and worse than others based on what they do and based on how they perform and reassures our, every person on the planet that as you are right now, you are everything you need to be. And that people are diverse and that we all have different strengths and we all have different ways that we can contribute. And so you want to look for all those, those qualities uh, about her, the, the kindness, the compassion, the helpfulness, the contribution of her talents that, are, that she's interested in and focus on those. And rather than focusing on grading and scaling and achievement and performance, which is pretty much all our kids hear, even if that performance is just you stacked three blocks on top of each other and now there's a ticker tape parade. We do a lot of praising. So encouragement is a way of being a parent. It's a way of having a relationship with your child that sends unconditional love at every step of the way. And it's more than just our language. It's about trusting them. It's about being that person who is constantly looking for the good and um, inviting them with their their value to to participate in the architecture of the family in whatever small way. Even a two-year-old can contribute a thought or an idea so that they feel feel valuable and contributive. And too often, our, our kids just feel like these sort of inert tumors on the family. Um, I think I might have mentioned in one of the other podcasts, one of the lines I just love from, from the book Hunt, Gather, Parent. She says, kids who get in, into trouble and, and misbehave or underemployed. I love that. So yeah, we have to find a great usefulness for all our children, something other than just performing and getting accolades for, for their accomplishments. Um, so there's lots of resources on encouragement on my website, but that's really the key. That's re And it's not just a one and done. It's about really changing the way we interact with our kids to just be an encouraging parent. And maybe you can think back in your life, who's been, who was somebody in your life that was really encouraging, who just really got you and brought out the best in you? That might have been a teacher, that could have been a grandparent. Think about all those relationships and who who was it and what did they do? What was the magic? What was the the jammy bit that pulled that off for you? And, and try to capture that and be that person to your kids. Now, in terms of her keeping friends, I don't know why she's having trouble keeping friends. Some kids have some social skills deficits. And, um, you know, unless you're kind of watching and seeing or speak to the teacher and say, what's going on? Is it that she's, is it because she's always got to make the rules in the games and people are tired that she never acquiesces? Is it that she gets in people's space and she doesn't, you know, kind of honor boundaries? <laughs> you know, is it is she the jealous type who gets all dysregulated when people play with other people? There's so many reasons for people having trouble keeping friends that I don't have a great answer that way except for let's find out what it is. Let's try to get really specific about where she's misstepping. And also just to realize friendships also are very transient at this age. They're very fickle. <laughs> They're, you know, it's, uh, I mean, some people have like bestie friends and they stick together for years and years and years, but people are trying to figure out friendships and, and they can be quite transient. And it doesn't mean that there's necessarily 
you know, anything particularly wrong. I think it's just hard for parents because we just really want our kids to be okay. And we, we get really we get really upset when they're upset, but it's part of life, you know? It's part of being young and figuring out those social skills, and some of them can be taught if there's a real deficit, but some of it is just practice in the field and comes with some heartbreak. So just reassure her that she's likable and lovable, and unless you can reflect back and say, you know, gee, I wonder what was going on, you got to find what the specific issue is and help her with a workaround. So see whether or not she can appreciate where she's misstepping or if you can watch her at playdates and see what might be off-putting or ask her teacher what the teacher is seeing and get to the nugget of it. But until then, tell her she's good enough, she's lovely enough, and she'll find another friend. And she's got lots of great qualities or she wouldn't have had these other friends. And that's part of staying encouraging. Ah, what do you say when your 15-year-old doesn't understand when you say, I trust you, but I don't know the kids around you? Ah, yes. So, so lovely. Speaking of encouragement. (laughs) So I guess the idea here is, you know, sometimes when you send your kid out into the world and at 15, their world gets bigger, it's lovely that you are restating to her, you are trustworthy. But it's the other factors I don't know. So a a good example might be driving in the car. You might say, I think you're a very good driver, but there can be some other people on the road at this time of night that are drinking and driving that might careen into you and not check, you know. So they're the problem, and that's my concern. Now, the trusting your kid also comes down to saying there's always going to be some risk factors in life. And even on the highway, we all take a calculated risk, and that's why we stay alert and we're not distracted. And some of our cars have sensors, and we don't stop driving because there's other incompetent people on the road. We go out there and we hope that we can be responsive and we bear the risk. And, uh, and of course, we have graduated licensing. So the same with your 15-year-old. You are not going to know all her friends. You are not. As they get older, they're going to have more privacy. They're going to have more, their world is going to get bigger. And you're not going to be able to know all their friends and know all their parents and do all their background checks. And and even if they, even if you do, you know, you're going to find there's some people that are like not your kind of people. Some kids come from bad homes, but it doesn't mean that your friend, you know, your kid can't be that protective factor that says, you know, I'm sorry, things are tough at home. You know, come hang out at my house. Maybe we'll show you a positive model of what a good family could be. I think we get so worried that everyone's going to, like, impact our kids in a negative way as opposed to thinking my kid could actually be a helpful person to to some people that are struggling. So the trusting her is really about being able to say, you're going to get into some sticky situations, and uh, I want to make sure that you know how to handle yourself in these tricky situations, you know, because... These people might ask you to to do different things. They might ask you to vape. They might ask you to um, shoplift. They might ask you to make out or snap pictures, inappropriate pictures of yourself. And, you know, that's that's the reality that sometimes the world's going to present you with some of these challenges. And I just want to make sure that you know how to navigate through all of that. And I'm always here for you if you need to talk to me about these tricky situations. But I, I think that you're going to have to find that that comfortable place of letting out a little bit more leash. What would you be comfortable at? What, what you know, do you want her to check in when she goes out? But, uh, but the truth is, you're going to have to get also comfortable as a parent knowing that you just aren't going to have the same control that you did before. You're not going to be able to hand pick and choose the situation she's in, the people that she's with. So, you know, not to let the whole leash out, but at 15, it's a lot further out than it is at 13. And so, um, so hopefully 
you can deal with that uncomfortability that we all go through as parents. But the beautiful thing is that you're saying that you trust her. And that's the part that she will care so much to hear from you repeatedly, even when she goofs up, even when she um, makes some bad choices, which I think leads to our second question here. Or not second, sorry, we're deep into it. The next question. So I have a quick question, was hoping you could help. My child has broken trust, and I feel like I am being lied to on occasion when I flat out ask questions. And I find myself going through their personal belongings just to see if I can catch them doing something I didn't approve of. By the way, I don't do this on a regular basis. What can I do to change both our behaviors? Hoping you can help. Thanks so much. Yeah, so, you know, trying to rebuild trust is is uh, we want to give our kids trust. They want to hold those high expectations for themselves. That was really important to my kids. They they really said that they, that you trust us. They never wanted to break trust because they loved that we did trust them. So we have to start by saying, I do trust you. But now if trust has been broken, then we have to help them recover. And so think about it. It's really about the concept of recovering from mistakes. We all make mistakes. I've done things I'm not proud of. I've done things I wish I could take back. All of us have. Every human being has. And so it's really about how you clean up a mistake and about forgiveness. We we need to be able to clean up, clean up, tidy up our mistakes and put them to bed and have that clean slate. We have to be able to have that opportunity to learn from our mistakes and move on, move past them. We need to do that for ourselves, our own self-compassion, but we also need it granted to other people because otherwise, think if we don't. If we don't, if we can't leave our mistakes in the past, and if we are forever marked by our mistakes, then we're branded. We're branded. It's like the scarlet letter being pinned to you. It's like your reputation. You can never get it off your record. And if you can never get it off your record and you're branded, how is it possible then to ever change? And if our goal is for our kids to change and make good choices— then we want them to leave that in the past, to make those forgivenesses, to say that they've learned from them, and to start afresh, to start anew. That is really what life should be about. And I'm assuming that that's what you would hope too, that if they were vaping, that they would see the mistake and the the health concerns about that and, and move on, get past it. But if they constantly think that their parent thinks that they're, you know, a druggie and that they don't have control of themselves, how is one to move on from that? You know, now you're like, uh, they have such a low opinion of me. I might as well go ahead and do the crime. They already think I'm bad. You know, why not get the benefit? So I think it's really important that it starts with us and um, also realize that, you know, when kids lie, a lot of of our lying can come from a couple of reasons. It's just, you know, think about, again, Adlerian perspective, what's the usefulness of lying? Good people can lie. It it doesn't mean that your child has has developed all these bad, you know, character traits. You know, just like good people can do bad things and bad people can do good things. It's not as simple as that. That um, just because you lie doesn't make you a liar. That's a that's a character assassination now. They use the technique of lying. Why? Well, some kids lie because they want to get around the rules. And isn't that what teenage years are about? Pushing boundaries, testing boundaries. We still have to set boundaries and enforce boundaries, but... Um, you know, it would make sense to me that if you're 14 and your parents say that you can't hang out with this friend or whatever, and you say, okay, well, I'm going to go sleep over at Sally's, and then you don't go to Sally's, you go hang out with the other friend, that's a, a way of uh, getting around your parents' authority. You know, you can't you can't get what you want through proper means, so you lie and you go do it covertly. So I think that's a lot of reasons why teens lie. 
it's part of those adolescent years. Sometimes teens lie because they want privacy. They don't want you to know everything about what's going on in their life. They want you to hold them in high opinion. And some of the stuff they're doing is boneheaded and stuff they're not even proud of themselves or they're a little nervous to, to share with you. So yeah, maybe maybe when you say, are you being sexually active? And they go, no, no, I'm not. Because they are worried that if they say that they are, that you are going to say, ah, oh my God, what's, you know. And so um, <laughs> we have to realize sometimes it's our reactions and our responses and how we're parenting them that is creating or you know, is part of uh, why they're making the choice to lie. It's just not all on them. So I love in Paul Rasmussen's podcast interview with me, and he was saying, if you expect your your teen to be a perfect adult, you're going to be quite mistaken. But if you expect them to be a perfect teenager, you'll be much happier. And uh, so some of this falls into the the realm of you are raising a perfect teenager, and not that not that that's doesn't make the job easier, but it um, maybe helps us understand that when we expect teenage behavior, that we don't get so alarmist when we find ourselves facing it. And I think that's why it's great to talk to other parents to see what other parents are experiencing with their adolescents and their stages of development. And I have a Facebook group just for teen, parents of teenagers. It's a private group. It's free. But if you want to check that out and, you know, post your questions and get some support and hear what's going on with other kids in that age group, it might give you some calm reassurance that you're not going off the rails. And I'm hoping with that, then you don't get so compulsive in trying to out them for this, to stop the, the bedroom hunts. Uh, because I think if you think about it, if your goal is to have them not lie, and be more overt with you, wouldn't that end result come better if you are a safe person for them to come to? If you start ramsacking their room and digging for proof, they're going to be more likely to just hide deeper. Wouldn't that make sense, right? Um, So if you found their vape pen in their bedroom, they're just going to hide it at school. It it doesn't resolve the issue of them coming forward to you. You You're being more antagonistic in the the, um, hunt to be right, and to try to control them. And again, we want to try to be open and collaborative and be there on the journey. And we can't be helpful if they are not uh, not coming to us. So hope that helps. Okay, what else we got here? Lots of questions I'm catching up on. My 14-year-old used to love her away camp. Of course, camp was canceled last year, and there's a good chance it will run this year. She claims not to want to go, but I already put a deposit, and I really believe once she's there, she'll be happy. She has been cooped up and never leaves the house except for school. I don't want her to stay indoors all summer, and I'm guaranteed that if she's at home, she will. I know the democratic ideal of not forcing, but there really are some cases where it could be best. Any tips? So, again, big concept here, force versus influence, especially in the teen years. You know, when we force, we're kind of saying, do it my way, do what I want. And in this case, you're saying, go to camp. I know you got the deposit in there, so you've already made this decision on her behalf. It sounds like without consulting her or you pushed ahead anyways. So I would say camp is really the adult solution that you're trying to force on her. And I would just say, let's back up. Let's just back up the bus a little bit here. What exactly does camp solve? Meaning, state what the problem is. And uh, when we state the problem, then we can get into dialogues with our with our kids. And I think that's, there's more than one way to skin the cat, but you're kind of like, 
um, you, you like your solution best, which is go to camp. You like it. You'll you'll manage when you get there. But if we can just loosen up our locked mindset for a moment and just get into a dialogue, one thing to realize is that you could be wrong. Kids change a lot in two years. She might decide that although camp was great, it could be the lamest thing ever. I mean, things from six months ago could be the lamest thing ever. It could be that her friend group in the city, you know, she's afraid that if she takes her eyes off her friend group that she'll be, you know, dismissed from that friend group. There might be a fear around that or, or whatever. Um, so there may be real reasons why she doesn't want to go back to camp. And so don't just, don't just assume that if you force her there, you could force her there and she could be absolutely miserable and think, why did my parents make me do this? And there could be all kinds of fallout with your friend group. You know, we don't know. We don't have a crystal ball. We don't have a magic ball. But I would definitely get into a conversation and say just exactly what you're saying, which is, you know, I know it's hard to head into camp, but you might say, you know, I have this feeling knowing you the way I do know you. And if you trust me as a mom who knows you pretty well, you tend to kind of get behind things once you're actually like there and kind of into it. And it might just feel like a little bit different now because you've been in, in one little rut and routine and it feels familiar. And maybe the shakeup seems a bit strange, but, you know... My guess is, knowing you, and if you come at it gently like that, they might go, you know, my mom isn't somebody who's out to get me. You know, she's actually got an opinion I might want to listen to. Whereas if you are forceful, then they're going to get defensive. So it's really about this dialogue and moving more towards influence, you know. But if we can't get her to warm up to the idea, you know, again, it's not. you can still say with like why I think it's a good idea or, you know, have you considered this or that? You know, I, I still think you can have a conversation, but it's it's just about, again, influence, not forcing. But I would then go back and say, well, you know, what I thought was really great about camp is that uh, I think you'd have great friends and you need to get outside and you need to socialize and and it's not okay to stay at home in the house all the time. That's not good for COVID. It's not good for your mental health. It's not good for your, your mind. It's not good for your body. So what are other ways that you could be social, grow, expand? Think of all the other things that camp provides. How will you get that this summer? What are other ways that you can do all those things? And she may well find other things she likes. She might even say, hey, there's a day camp where I don't have to go overnight, but I can just go do soccer camp and be home for dinner every night. Oh, okay, well, that solves the problem. Or she may say, you're right, I really can't find anything else to do. Um, maybe camp is the best solution. Or maybe the best solution is don't do it as long as, maybe instead of going for two weeks, you only go for one. Or maybe the best solution is, you know, why don't you go and if you're having a lousy time after a week, I'll pick you up early, but at least you gave it a go. So it's about being, you know, open and flexible and influencing because otherwise it feels like I didn't decide, you're controlling me, you put me in this place I don't want. And then their mindset is, I am going to show you that camp was the worst decision you ever made me do. And so instead of like loosening up and trying to chat with their other cabin mates, she's going to be more likely to, to say, I'm going to show my parents this is the worst thing ever. You know, and I'm not going to eat and I'm not going to go to the thing. I'm the camp director is going to call you and they're going to say that I am miserable and you better pick me up and I'll prove that you made a bad choice for me. <laughs> All right. Next one here. Uh, hi, Allison. My oldest daughter turning 18 this summer was dropped by her school friend group after COVID 
hit. The girls were communicating on a group message, but they have stopped responding to her messages, and none of them want to meet up with her for a socially distanced visit when she suggests it. She broke down in tears a few weeks ago and told me she's lonely. Luckily, she works as a cashier with lots of kids her age and loves it, so she's getting some social interaction outside our family. She also struggles with self-confidence due to stubborn acne, which we're seeing a dermatologist about, but I believe it made her less likely to initiate making friends for fear of being rejected. How can I gently encourage her to take the next step with her work friends to be friends outside of work? Being COVID safe, of course. Thanks. If you have so many questions you can't get to mind, no worries. Have a lovely long weekend. Well, I have time for you, and thank you for your consideration about that. So a few things. I love that she has a job and that she's making friends at her workplace. Can I tell you, there's so many parents who don't want their kids to get part-time jobs because they think that they have to dilute their attention and won't have time to keep their studies up and that their marks will go down. And I can't tell you how many times marks usually go up, confidence is built, skills are developed, but there's this whole other social work and ki- uh, that kids can make friends outside of the the social structures of the school and they meet different kinds of people and they meet them on their own terms and there's a real growth and development that happens there. It's very common. It's so, so lovely. So I'm glad that she had that experience. So yay for that. And I'm sorry that she's kind of got a little wobbly self-confidence. We do in the adolescent years and I'm sure acne does not make that better. So I'm glad that's at least getting looked after. But I think the thing that you, with the with the dermatologist or whatever, but I think what you point out is clearly her own self-consciousness is her own in- evaluation. But if you can remind her, she's got friends at work. She does have, they're talking to her, they're socializing, you know, and therefore they're not, they're not caring about the acne. That's not getting in the way. That's proof positive that it's not a deterrent for friendships. That's evidence, proof, slam dunk, done. She's flourishing. <laughs> she's flourishing with her acne there. So so that's her own inhibitions and, and we can remind her of that. And some people are never going to be initiators. They, you know, it's um, some people would prefer to accept an offer to go somewhere than to say, hey, do you want to meet for coffee? And um, if you're afraid of rejection, sometimes that's, you know, too scary. And so you just wait. But if she's getting along with friends at work, there's probably somebody who will initiate. You know, why wouldn't they? You know, so um, I would say just wait. You know, if um, if she's not feeling like she wants to initiate, that's on her. If she's unhappy enough that she thinks she has to like muster the courage and finally do it, then she will. But I don't think she's going to do it just because you kind of push her. Usually what generally happens is, you know, they're at work, they're chatting or whatever. The way that kids do these things now, it's like because we're in COVID, it's not like people are saying, do you want to go shopping on the weekend? Do you want to go to a movie? there's, what are you going to invite someone to? Mostly what's going to happen as the next step is they're probably going to get each other's phone numbers and text and say, can you pick up my shift? And are you working Thursday? And then, you know, lo and behold, they start following each other on social. So next thing it's, you know, oh yeah, well, I'm, um, I follow her on Instagram or, you know, she liked one of my TikTok videos or whatever. And then they're going to chat through social media. That's probably the next step. And, And I bet if you check in with her, she might say, yeah, we're doing those things. So, I just don't think there's a lot of in real life stuff for people to do. So, um, you know, do you want to like toss out a recommendation and say, hey, you seem to be uh, talking a lot about this um, Janine gal from work. You know, do, uh, do you want to do a socially distanced uh, barbecue in the in the backyard or do you want to, I mean, you could toss out an idea. Maybe she wants to go for a bike ride with you, but but that's it. 
And she's probably figured that out already. Otherwise, you just send the message of like, I want you to be different and more social than you are. I don't want them to get discouraged that we have, that we're holding this like worry for them, this, this concern, because then you're like, I don't know, my mom really thinks I'm having friend problems, or my mom really thinks, I don't, I don't want to cooperate, I don't want to be, you know, adding validity to their low self-esteem. So a lot of this is, is about stepping back and having confidence. That's, you know, the encouraging parent has faith where the child doesn't. We're like, you'll work it out, you'll figure it out when you care enough. I know you're worthy of a friend and not kind of buying into the storyline. That's actually another version of confidence building. Yeah, so I, ho- I hope that's helpful for everybody. And, um, you know, uh, I guess the other thing I would just add there is if you do catch her with the ne- with the negative self-talk, just, just call her on it. Just say, you know, you don't talk very nicely to yourself. <laughs> you know, come on, that's, uh, that's really unkind. Well, you know, why do you have to be your own worst enemy? And in fact, you could say, you know, usually when people punish themselves with their bad self-talk, it's because they came from some really punitive childhood where they think, well, if I punish them enough, they'll change their behavior or they'll get better or something. It's like, have you had a punitive childhood? Do you, do you think by whacking yourself with a stick, you're going to feel better about yourself? How's that supposed to work? That's not really how it works. <laughs> so instead, if you want to feel good about yourself, you want to feel better about yourself, start befriending yourself. Start saying nice things. Start saying things in line more in line with common sense, you know? Like, ah, nobody's perfect. Sure, I made a mistake. You know, ah, acne sucks, but it's not the end of the world. Lots of people have friends and have acne. Lots of famous stars have had acne. Acne is survivable. I'm just like every other kid who's going through their hormonal thing. Is it nice? No. Can I handle it? Ah, well, as much as, as much as anybody can. It ain't great, but it's not the end of the world. I mean, (laughs) you know, just to be more loving, self-accepting, more in line with some common sense, less catastrophic. And um, and so just catching, catching how much the little inner voice is just beating, beating her up and uh, and how it's just hurtful and wrong. You love her too much to see her hurt herself. <laughs> there you go. So folks, I hope uh, you're enjoying these podcasts. We've got more interviews coming up. And I will catch you for the next Q&A. You can follow the link in the show notes for my email address to send me questions. Take care. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. 